the day before Thanksgiving in 1971, a man identifying himself as Dan Cooper bought a plane ticket from Portland to Seattle. He hijacked the plane, claiming he had a bomb in his briefcase and demanded $200,000 in four parachutes. He jumped out of the plane with the money and the bomb somewhere over the Pacific Northwest, never to be seen again. The FBI claims to have investigated over a thousand people, including dozens of deathbed confessions. In 2016, 45 years after the hijacking, the FBI suspended its investigation of the case. While the FBI is no longer looking for D.B. Cooper, there is a community of people who are trying to solve the case on their own. Welcome to the Cooper Vortex. In this episode, we are lucky to be joined by radio host and best-selling author Alan R. Warren. Al is the host of House of Mystery Radio Show and is the author of at least 26 books. 26 books. Can you believe that? Most people I know haven't even read 26 books in their lifetime. But he's written about serial killers, doomsday cults, cannibals, celebrity deaths, the JFK assassination, conspiracy theory culture, paranormal, and the occult. But he recently got around to writing about something I'm very interested in. His latest book, The House of Mystery Radio Show, presents D.B. Cooper, The Interviews, Volume 7. Enjoy this episode with my good friend, Al Warren. Al, when did you first hear about D.B. Cooper? Oh, I was a kid. I was young. I mean, I'm, I'm an old guy now, but I, in 71, I was probably nine, eight or nine uh, I think I just turned nine, actually, when it happened. And of course, it made the news and I had heard about it. So uh, as a kid, I was fascinated with the idea of, uh, you got to remember, see, uh, I came out of the 60s and 70s. So everything was cowboys and banks and ro banks, robbers. And and uh, so all of that. So this was a great character because it was uh, modern day times. And then did you just kind of loosely follow the story over the years? Yeah, because I mean, when you're when you're a kid, nine, 10, you don't get a whole lot. And back in those days, you know, no internet, in fact, cable or satellite was almost non-existent. I think we had three television channels. So it's not like there's a whole lot to follow um, on a daily basis. And as a kid, you forget things and someone else comes along. But yeah, but it was always on my mind. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm a little bit younger than you. But I first saw or heard about D.B. Cooper through unsolved mysteries okay yeah 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 no i i didn't i didn't see that i mean i might have but i can't remember it there was the unsolved mysteries and then leonard nimoy in search of also did a uh, a bit about cooper yeah yeah it was pretty um a pretty popular thing i think um having someone get away with money was kind of uh grassroots we loved it and cheered him on but at the same time he was a criminal so i it kind of had both both elements watching this uh case um so yeah it was it was kind of something that uh people like to pay attention to yeah i think one of the reasons he became sort of a, a folk hero is because even though he did commit this crime he got away with the money but he never put a knife against someone's throat. He didn't kill anyone in the process. Yeah, I think that's a that's an important thing um, uh, because he wasn't out for hurting anyone. He was just out to get the money for whatever reason in his mind. 
Um, but I, yeah, I, I, I just, it, so that's, a, that's an open-ended one. So I, it's hard to say, it's hard to say what he would have done if he was taken to task. If at the situation where he was in a, if he, if he got trapped in a situation, I wonder if he would have had uh, been violent or caused a problem. So that's, that's, that's kind of an open question um, because of the situation. Um, he didn't have to. So, <laughs> so it's yeah, a good that's, thing. that's true. I mean, I wonder, most people don't believe his bomb was real. There doesn't seem to be a lot of, uh, a lot of reason for the bomb to be real. We know he had a pocket knife on him, but I don't think he had a gun or anything. Not that we yeah. know. Well, I think, and I think if you, if you try to look at the mental point of view, if you picture yourself, um, this might be hard for younger people who weren't alive at the time. But um, if, if, if you think he could have been a person that in his mind thought, well, I want to get money um, instead of robbing a bank where you're on the ground and people can find you and you have to confront law enforcement. You get on an isolated place, such as a plane, and the plane was really easy to walk onto, right? I mean, back in those days, you could walk up to the teller, you know, the the at the uh, counter and just buy your ticket and walk on the plane. You didn't have to show ID or anything. So this was uh, a much looser time. Even wilder no than that. Well, there were actually planes you could just walk onto and pay the fare in the air. <laughs> yeah, that was, see, that, that, I, I, I never experienced that personally, but the walk on and pay I did, but. Or, you know, on the teller, but you know, the thing is, I don't, uh, so in his mind, he might've been trying to develop a plan of making money without hurting someone, or he just might not have cared about that. You know, the bomb real or not, you know, again, um, you look at the product, um, of how the mind was in the seventies and the, and the sixties, that's the, you know, early seventies, um, it would have been easy to fool people because I think that there was certainly a lot of people that were naive to things there, there is now, like we see it now, if we really look, but I think that then was a certain types of innocence that a lot of the mainstream people had working a job. So they, they would see something like that. It looks like something they've seen on TV and it would be scary. Like they're, you know, um, people were much more, um, you could fool them much easier than you could today. I think I definitely agree with that. What you do you know. think of his age? The people said he was between, I think one of the younger reports said late thirties and the oldest one said early fifties. Yeah. What do you think of the age of Cooper? It's an odd age for a man to be committing a very daring crime. Well, I think if he was between 30 and 50, he was at the point in his mind where he had nothing to lose. Um, you take that kind of a dare because you don't care if you come back or not. So whether he died or lived in this thing, it did, that wasn't the outcome for him. He didn't care. Like he didn't feel it mattered. So if he, if, if he wasn't going to make it and he was just going to die, um, no loss in his mind there must have been something like that going on of course he was thinking i'm going to make it this is what i'm going to do and this is you know that's that's probably we're not going into things to to kill herself like that um so i think 
um, for his age, but you know, it's really hard. He was probably in the 30 to 50 and that that's the best you can do because, you know, if you ever deal with a lot of uh, crime and true crime victims and, and witnesses, half their testimony is wrong. Half of it is, is, is not correct. And it's so different. You can have so, so many different outlooks and points of view uh, from the same witnesses at the same crime. And it's really an unusual thing. Um, our memory and our brain, um, it's not the most dependable. You know, and people will, will argue with me on that. But the thing is, I've seen enough to know uh, over the years that um, it just isn't reliable. Like you and I are sitting here talk, talking right now. And in 10 years from now, uh, you know, if someone asks us, oh, you interviewed Al Warren back 10 years ago. Tell us about that. If we both were asked that question in 10 years from now, would we remember it the same way? And how would we remember it? And, and, and every time that I've been through a kind of a study in that area, I find that it's, it's amazing how different things turn out. So for me, um, the witnesses and the variances of the, of the sketches and the pictures, you know, what is the truth? How can you, how could you say that person uh, is correct, but this witness isn't um, it's so unreliable, but I, I would definitely, it seemed like everybody believed he was at least 30. So we could definitely kind of go with 30 up to 50 and, and 50 kind of, um, you know, some people will say a 50-year-old looks 40. You know what I mean? People are um, unreliable on that, but I don't know what else to, how else to get into that. Yeah, and one of the things that sort of annoys me as someone who has devoted a lot of time to this case is I hear people say all the time, oh, we just need to show Tina this picture of my suspect. And 50 years has gone by. Try and describe someone from, from 10 years ago that you met once. Nevertheless, 50 years ago. Yeah. And that's kind of what I mean. You know, and I've dealt with that a lot in the true crime books and things I've written and been through. And um, I... I mean, you have to take that in as evidence. It all comes in and it's there. But you also have to kind of footnote or earmark the idea that it's not it's not 100 percent. It's just part of the evidence. It's not it's not the full picture. You can't just say, well, what she said is 100 percent right. That's it. There's nobody else. And that's, this is what we go with. I think that you take that information and go with it. But yeah, 50 years is a long time. And, you know, it's funny. We just did an interview with someone that uh, studies our brain and memory and the latest idea is that um, every time we live through something, our brain sort of does a filing with it. And when we call up that memory, the memory has actually been erased, except for a few key elements, then our brain fills in those blanks. So every time you recall a memory, it recalls it from where you are at that time, not how you were then. So it, it's going to fit the narrative of how you are today rather than 50 years ago 
and what you think it should be or what it should, you know, what it was. And it, it's, it's amazing. Um, so I, you know, again, I, I, I sort of leave that open. Speaking of interviews you've done and, and work you've done books, you've written, you have a new book out the house of mystery radio show presents DB Cooper, the interviews volume seven. It's out now really good. I, uh, have a copy right here with me. Why Why did you decide to do a series of interviews on Cooper? Well, I think it was an accident. The first, because what we were doing is originally we were doing mystery, solid mystery. So anything that's unsolved, JFK assassination, we were doing um, paranormal mysteries. We were doing weird things like people saying the world's flat. Okay, uh, they're spraying us with chemicals. So I just wanted to get everybody. It's you know, I believe it or not. Like I was just kind of okay. Well, you say it's true, then let's go to the head person saying it, the one that runs the organization. Let's talk to them and say, listen, tell us how it you how you come to this, and I wanted to just explore that. And so, of course, DB Cooper was just one of the under the true crime unsolved mystery sort of things that we interviewed. And um, it, there ended up being quite a few people writing books or being involved. Like there's, um, you know, it's like any other case like Zodiac and anything else, all of a sudden there's like uh, five or six people and it was their father, their uncle, you know, it's always a relative. And, and I thought, well, how come this happens? So, <laughs> so it just ended up being interviews on that. It wasn't, you know, and it's funny because I was really naive enough to believe when I was starting this show that um, I thought I would get answers, you know, we'd figure <laughs> it out. And, and the truth is, you know, most of them leave me with more questions than answers. And so I stopped taking it so seriously and realized that, well, let's just have some fun with it. I mean, I'm not rude or flippant to people that are serious about these I, I really try to get the information and be respectful but I don't I don't really expect anything out of it like you know we interview someone and it's like well hey that you know we're in a country where you're supposed to be fr free right so have that freedom enjoy it and if this is what you believe that's great and and that's it I'm just leaving it at that I'm not I'm not looking for an answer anymore I think is what I'm saying now um but he was just one of those unsolved mysteries. Yeah, I think you said it real well that you're left with more questions than answers. When I yeah. started this show, the, the Cooper Vortex, I thought I knew a lot about the case. <laughs> and, and now I, I don't know. People ask me, who's D.B. Cooper? And my answer is, I have no idea. I have no idea now. It's like that uh, Dunning-Kruger graph, if you've ever seen that. <laughs> like how much time you've spent learning about something and how much yeah. you think, you know? Yeah. It just, it just, you know, more elements and you've heard more stories and that, but there's no answer to this. Like Zodiac, Jack the Ripper, JFK, all these things, there'll never be an answer. Um, I'm sort of always confused when I have a person in front of me, a hundred percent sure that this person did it. That's it. No matter what this person's it because it's like, well, you can't really say that, you, you know, unless you were there, which you weren't, we're kind of left with, well, it, I mean, maybe if you've got enough pieces of evidence, it's possible. You, you might be right. You might be onto something, but, uh, but, you know, and people, they're sure getting angry in these communities 
Um, D.B. Cooper's not as bad as, let's say, JFK. Um, those guys are like violent and <laughs> really mean to each other. You watch some of these forums going on, but uh, D.B. Cooper can be a little tense too. But uh, I, I just don't, I don't understand the, the, why people are so serious because I don't think we'll ever know for sure um, unless some weird circumstance or DNA or something pops up somewhere, you know? Yeah. I, I wonder that as well. Like why myself included in this, why do people with no personal involvement at all become so obsessed with something? <laughs> you know, I wished I knew. And, and, uh, you know, I don't know if it's just a human condition, you know, where we, we get into it and it has to be. And, and all of this, I don't know if it makes us feel um, better or um, smarter than the next guy or make us important or I'm not really sure. I don't understand it um, because, uh, you know, jumping into it, thinking I would find out answers after a while, realizing that this is kind of not going to happen. Um, I, I kind of gave up the idea of knowing 100%. So I just... I just have fun talking to people and get it out there and, and uh, writing and doing things and, and people can kind of go with whatever they believe, but I, I don't, I don't understand that. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, but it's something we all do and we've done for forever. It seems like. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish I could tell you why I'm obsessed with DB Cooper. I think, I think <laughs> about that all the time, you know, well, maybe, I'm, maybe it was your dad. <laughs> it's definitely not my dad. He doesn't care at all about DB Cooper. <laughs> well, that's the perfect cover. <laughs> oh, who knows? All right. So I, I want to talk about a couple of people you've interviewed in your book. You had Ross Richardson on the show. Right. Love that guy. He's awesome. Been on my yeah. show as well. Uh, Joe Koenig and Vern Jones, right. both of whom were on my show as well. Awesome. And then most recently, you had Drew Hurst Beeson on your show. And, right. and Drew is awesome and had done some great work. And you had Tom Colbert on your show, and he's the only one on that list who has not been on my show, um, probably because I've been critical of, of Rackstraw as, as a suspect. What are your thoughts on Rackstraw? Oh, it... it, it... <laughs> um, I, could, I could take it or leave it. I'm not, I'm not a fan of... of of the rock star straw um you know and and to to be honest the way he presented it was really bad um personally i i, I found him to be too too polished and too much of a salesman so that always bothers me um when when that happens when you get someone that's so rehearsed in, in, in all of their presentation, their book, their talking, the way they present something, it's so, it's so, so set up. It's, it, you feel like you're on an infomercial. Um, I, lose, I lose a lot of faith in what they're saying. And, and, and frankly, um, again, it's another, it's another one of those where there's no real evidence, solid evidence. Um, a lot of the things that... Um, he brings up are things that you could bring up for many, many people. Um, I, I, I just want to see some more hard evidence when they bring up a character rather than just, okay, their background or what they've, 
their abilities and stuff and where they were and where they happened to be. And, you know, and then, you know, drug dealing in 1980 on the Columbia river, like he has all these, all these stories and that's just what they are. They're just stories. And um, I, I think I need more in that case uh, because that was just kind of a weird, yeah, I, I could take or leave that one. One of the things about Rackstraw and then M Richard McCoy as well is it, there tends to be, I'm sure you're aware of this, in, in these unsolved crime communities, a distrust of the FBI. Like they're incompetent. They did it all wrong. Or maybe there's even some sort of cover-up aspect to it. But two suspects that were thoroughly investigated by the FBI are Rackstraw and McCoy. And the FBI found no evidence linking them to Flight 305. And I think that if there was anything, any shred of evidence that could have potentially linked them, the FBI would have presented it, especially with McCoy. Yeah, but I think, you know, you have to look at um, societies, um, American society in, in general has gone um, down that road of um, police are bad, uh, FBI is uh, incompetent, conspiratorial, they're out to get us, even the CIA at times. We've kind of got this real anti-establishment government opinion in probably half the country, and you could see that by how the election turns out, right? So with that, uh, taking that into account right away, um, when someone said something like, okay, well, the FBI, they were they're covering up or they were just you know, some sort of trying to hide it. Um, I think people, I think we have to start getting more uh, specific. People can't just say that um, the government wants us to do this. The government's trying to help, you know, the president or the CIA or the FBI. When we pick a group like that, there's no way in hell <laughs> that all the CIA or all the FBI or our in some sort of conspiracy this is not like the fbi all sat in a room and had a meeting and decided from top down well we're just going to cover this up or we're not going to so people need to be more specific and start naming names they got to go after people that they think are involved so i think that's the first problem with that um but incompetence happens and that happens in every business every job i've ever had in my life i've come across people that don't do their job very well or they're not very well trained or they're maybe just not smart enough to handle what they're doing or something and that that goes on in every business so the incompetence i can take and and in a lot of these cases you see kind of a sometimes it's not even incompetence it's just a lack of caring um, and that goes down to the, the agent or the officer. And you'll see different things in different cases like that over the years because it just happens. Um, people, but, that, but at the same time, if you take into account that some of your FBI or your policing law enforcement were incompetent or not very smart or they didn't do their job well, you have to remember that goes with all humans. So that includes the witnesses, that includes the person that caused the crime, whether D.B. Cooper or someone else. If someone does something, they're not all perfect. You know, it's not X-Men here, right? Uh, 
So, I mean, that's just, that's just, we're all in that level. We all make mistakes. So they, they, you know, it can't, it can't be so one-sided is what I'm saying on that. But, but I agree. I mean, there's, there's just nothing solid with, with Rackstraw other than maybe his character and, and being in the area and some of the things he's done. But the, the thing is, there's probably hundreds of people that could fit into that kind of narrative. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you just look at the general description of Cooper, you have a guy who's 5'10 to six foot, who's very average looking, who smokes and drinks, who potentially had military service. Well, in 1971, middle-aged dudes all had the same haircut. They all looked the same. They all smoke and drank. And the vast majority of them had military service. Yeah. I mean, you know, you had the war, Vietnam, and you had Korean before that. There's been a, a solid war time then. So, yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of people that could fit that, you know. Do you believe there is any government cover-up or gross negligence uh, in this case? No, no. I've seen nothing to, to support uh, you see, because when you say cover up, that means an intentional plan. And I don't believe that. And, and gross negligence means that an act of being negligent or, you know, but to a degree of, you know, what you're doing is screwing things up. Like you kind of know you've, you know, so I don't see that. I think if anything, there's just, um, there's good cops, bad cops, there's smart ones, dumb ones, there's incompetent ones. There's uh, lazy ones. There's ones that don't care, just as there are ones that care. And I think it's just the aptitude of the people involved in it. They're not always good. I don't think it. I, I really, you know, if someone can show me something specific about an agent, and this is what this agent did, and this is how they did it, and this is gross negligence, then, then yeah, I would, I'd be for it. But I haven't seen anything yet. Now, the FBI files are available. If you want to, you could, you could go to yeah. the FBI vault and, and look up all, you know, 400,000 pages on D.B. Cooper. Yeah. The problem with that is, too, they, that they were inundated with so much information and, and people giving them tips and, inf- and, and, and uh, trying to give them clues and information. And, and the unfortunate thing is they have to kind of run down all of that and that's kind of leads to a lot of um, mishaps and problems. And it leads to a lot of the, um, you know, not getting the job done because they've got so much garbage coming in that they've got to go through on top of just doing their regular job. It's not always going to end up in a good thing because everybody and their dog had to call in and say it was my, it was my, father or sister or uncle but you know they they all threw names and 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 uh didn't they have they had something like over a thousand people report it to them or something that's a lot of suspects oh yeah and i've read depending on the account anywhere from dozens to over 900 people have confessed to this crime (laughs) and you you touched on that in your book you have a little paragraph about false confessions and i I think about this a lot. Most false confessions, you're talking about someone who was coerced, who was in an interrogation room, who was going up against a professional interrogator who ended up just saying they did it possibly, you know, because they were confused or they're not a super bright person. 
or they just wanted this to be over with. But in the D.B. Cooper world, none of the confessions are forced or coerced. They're voluntary. Yeah, because in in all cases, there seems to be people that will jump at it and say, I did it. You know, and they're they're thrilled. Uh, they really, I don't know. It must be an attention thing, or there, there's some sort of mental issue going on there, because that's not something a normal person should do. You don't you don't run in and go, well, I I committed that crime, and you had nothing to do with it. There's 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 something else going on, and all crimes tend to get that, especially if they're public crimes that people see on TV, um, and uh, that's another bizarre act from our human race that I don't understand, but, um, but you're right in general, most of the false confessions are because the person's taken off balance. You know, they're put in a room for, you know, 12, 20 hours or something, no food, or just, you know, they're, they're in a bad state in a bad place in their, in their mind. And uh, you know, the cops get things out of it, uh, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't too much before this case, you know, just in the sixties, you know, the cops were still slapping people around in interrogation and forced confessions were still admitted in court. So, you know, I, I could, I can uh, slap you around enough that you say, yeah, okay, I did it. And that's okay. Whereas now you couldn't do that. That's totally against the law. But that was just in the 60s, and um, this is 71. So, you know, just because the law changes, and you see that in anything, um, doesn't mean everybody changes overnight. It does take a few generations. So, you know, uh, I wouldn't doubt there would be slapping around and forced interrogations. But in this particular case, no, none of that happened. And people that want to run in and say they did it, I think they need some, some psychological help, but you know, that's just my opinion. Do you think that one of the people that has confessed to the crime was actually Cooper? No, I don't. I don't. There's, there's always a reason you, we do things as humans for a reason. If, if, if I'm going to confess to something and I didn't do it, there's, 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 there's some sort of issue. And if I did do it, I'm going to confess that means I want to be caught or I want to go through the prosecution system for some reason. What do I want out of that? So whenever someone comes forward and says, this is what I did, uh, and you have to kind of know why they did it. And that's the hardest thing to figure out. And um, that's probably something in policing we don't do enough. I don't think they have enough of the uh, mental element involved in policing. It's all hard policing. And so um, who knows, maybe that'll get better, but I don't, you know, I, I don't, I didn't see any of them as real suspects. Yeah. And there's, there's a handful of suspects who were alive and being accused of being Cooper by others. And then when they're asked about it, you know, they're, they're coy, they wink at it. Cause it's kind of, there's some cachet to, to being Cooper. Um, it's not the Zodiac. It's a, it's a little bit different. <laughs> yeah, um, well, you might get a free cool. drink at the bar because you're D.B. Cooper, but yeah, no one's going to buy you a drink because you're the Zodiac. Yeah, they love that. They look up to it. It's like, ooh, 
you're cool, man. Like he could go into a bar and people would be like, yeah, this is cool. How'd you do? Oh yeah. You know, they'd be all thrilled. Um, I think you're right because there was no murder involved. He didn't torture people. He wasn't killing people. He wasn't doing all these things. He just stole some money. We all, we all sort of root for the, for the, for the bad guy. And that guy. I mean, look at Bonnie and Clyde right through to the the twenties and all the uh, gangsters and stuff that we were, you know, in general, the population was like, you know, thinking, yeah, because we, we think of them as the underdog. Think of them, we connect with them. They're people like us. They're working people or they're, they're you know, trying to make it. And they, they come up with a scheme and they got away with it. And see, there's no murder or death. There's nobody standing, you know, crying. There's no families all upset and there's none of that stuff. So th- in a way, it was the perfect crime um, to get away with still got away it's been 50 years so i have to agree with you there well however he did it whether he died whether it's uh who whatever the real outcome is it doesn't matter because the image is that he got away with it you know uh in people's minds in general he was never caught so what the real truth is who knows i mean like again i don't think we know but it, it, the bottom line is when when you say db cooper and as we go into the future that will always be known as the guy that successively he hijacked the plane and got away with it i want to ask you about a, a suspect you point him out in your book richard floyd mccoy there was a, a documentary that came out recently on youtube uh by dan Greider, and it, it got a lot of attention the, the media didn't really pick up on it but dan's got a pretty decent audience in my opinion, McCoy is one of the most investigated suspects. You know, if this case is 50 years old, uh, McCoy is 48 years and six months old. I, I just don't see anything there. W- what is your take on McCoy? Well, I, th- I think he was one of the many uh, copycats, right? And um, I think that in itself may connect people then. You know, they, they look at it and they go, well, he's a, he, he did it and um, successfully did it type thing. So he's the one that could do it and all that stuff. I, yeah, I'm kind of, you know, he's kind of a, I think, I think he's one of those that's a possibility, but again, I'm not really sold on him for some reason um, because when he pulled off the one in 72, he didn't do the same. He didn't have the same style or MO and stuff and how he, how he, you know, cause it, like with the gun and the grenade and all this stuff. And I don't know, it just seemed too much like a copy. It wasn't a progression. It wasn't like, okay, well, I got away with what I did and I made a few adjustments to my style so that it would make it even better because, you know, some, some things maybe didn't work as well as I wanted to, like, you know, in his mind, he's thinking and that, but the changes he did, um, from Denver to San Francisco was was completely different. This is a whole other, other than poor, four parachutes, but this is not. This is a whole other thing. Um, so I'm 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 not really buying into it either. But I wouldn't I wouldn't x them out 100. percent I would just kind of keep them on in in a, on the sideline. You know. Yeah, in my opinion, it seems like the plan was very similar but the execution was wildly different. Cooper was famously calm, cool, and collected. Um, McCoy was a bit of a shit show, drew attention to himself. 
Yeah. Yeah. There's just something that he doesn't seem like the same person. And, and, and that makes the difference. Like it didn't make sense, but then I, I know that that's just my thought and I could be wrong. So I just, that's why I say I leave him on the sideline, but you know, I, I don't, I don't buy into him. I'm, I'm not saying he's the guy. I'm just kind of thinking, well, you know, I guess it's possible, but I don't know. He just, he just doesn't seem to fit the character of the, of the original DB Cooper. So mm, I'm kind of mixed on that. Well, what about Ted Braden? Did Drew Beeson do a good job convincing you it was Braden? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I love the guy. He's, he's fine. I, it's not that I, I'm not into Drew. I think that he's, I think he's, you know, he spends the time, he writes the books, he does the research. He's, he's really involved and he's smart guy and everything, but there was nothing that convinced me. There was nothing that made me go, Oh yeah, that's it. You're right. It was like no lights turned on. Um, but at the same time, I'm not putting him down and I'm not saying, Oh my God, he's terrible. He doesn't know what he's talking about and all that stuff. Uh, everything's valid in what he's said and done. I'm just, but he just didn't, he didn't convince me. I'm not, you know, and I think the, one of the reasons he's in the book is because I try to put people that were, how do I say this? Most reasonable, the, the ones that uh, did the best job in their suspect. And they also had the best character. And at the same time, I have people like that in there. I also put someone like Colbert in where, who's just completely off. <laughs> uh, you know and i mean that in the most loving way no it's, he just had he was i i want people in general i just keep the ones that i think are most reliable and have the best evidence but i had to put the one nutball in how's that i said it <laughs> <laughs> i said it so i'll get backlash but that's okay but i had to put one that was kind of a as far as this case goes um a lot of the other cases i didn't bother with that in the book series but in this case i did put him in but no i mean you know there's Braden's. uh you know there, what can i say you know the thing is um when he comes forward with his information you know yeah he's got the vietnam he's a military sergeant certainly can do the parachuting he's you know um he's got all of the right demeanor he's got all of the um right behaviors and he's got the look He's got the fit. So all of that is there. But I think what I'm saying is there has to be something that, that kind of the smoking gun, as they like to say, have us some, something a little bit more than that. I, I need more than that to get to, to for, in order for me to jump into it. Yeah, I agree. I think Braden is one of those suspects where, and I, I like Braden as a suspect, to be honest. Yeah. But there isn't, enough evidence to push me towards oh yeah i think it was ted braden but there isn't really any evidence where i can say it wasn't ted braden yeah i mean he could fit but there's a lot of people that could fit i mean if we spent our time looking for people in the u.s that were um you know with this kind of experience and that kind of behavior and look just like you know when you go to zodiac how many people can you fit 
the description, right? There's in, in that time period, everyone looked like that. I just like everybody and their dog had that with the same glasses too. So I, I just think we can find a lot in these people, but you know, and I, I just, I just need that, that piece of physical evidence that throws me over. Not, not just that he was beat a lot by his dad or he had an abusive father. I mean, half the country had that. I, I, you know, I just, I need more, um, you know, he had a high IQ, but there's a lot of people that have, uh, you know, I, I'm just, um, as far as that goes, I can't go any further than that and say, yeah, okay, that's, um, there's nothing wrong with the person you brought forward and you did your research, you did a good book, this is great, but I'm not stopping, I'm not going, this is it, we found him. <laughs> That's all. I mean, I, but then again, I, I hold that with everyone. I, I don't think anyone's convinced me. I can't say that I walked away going, yeah, this is the guy, you know, or girl used to be, you know, that's, that's, there's that too. right? There's the, so there's none of that. I just think this is all, it's all good. It's a good information. At least he did a good book. Unlike the covert thing, you know, uh, so I can say, you know, he, he should be happy with what he's done, but I don't think he can go much further than what he did. Yeah. I'm not sure how much further he could go either. Let me ask you this, Al, are you and I doing a disservice to unsolved cases by giving an audience to fringe theories? Well, um, yes, <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? I, um, I'll tell you what, I think that, um, you know, the thing how do I say this? If you look at the big picture, you know, all this turmoil in, 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 in the world, and especially in the U S all this cancel culture, people say, and, and, and um, it, it, it's just, it's not really there. I, it, people are complaining and calling it things that it isn't really. Um, uh, I think that if you bring on someone like I, I pretty much, I'm, I'm pretty much wiped out as far as doing a lot of the, weird stuff flat earthers and no fake moon landing and all that i've had all of them on done it been there done that um realized that it's just kind of what these people believe and that's freedom i want that person marcus allen to tell me we haven't been to the moon it's all fake okay great um have a good day you know and move on i, I think this is great the thing i think is as bad personally is if we put someone like that on the show and then we say, yeah, you're right. God damn it. This is, this is the truth. And everyone else is a loser. Wake up. You're, you're stupid. You're a zombie. You're a, a sheep. It's like, um, that's the bad thing. So if, if you're, if you do a show and if you're putting people down because they're not buying into who you have on, then you're doing a disservice. If you're just bringing people on, like I'm saying, basically Alex Jones does it wrong. And that might get some backlash because, you know, but because he makes up things and he hurts people and he does things in a way of putting everyone else down, like either you buy into this or you're a loser, you know, and he gets people all riled. That's not right. There's nothing wrong with talking to other Americans about their points of view, about how they come to it, what they believe. I think that's great. But when you're when you're starting to hurt other people, 
then that's when you've gone too far, you're doing something wrong, because that's not what it's about. If you really believe that, um, you know, COVID is fake, and you want to promote that, that's great, do that. But don't start disparaging, don't start hurting other people that don't, you're not going to get any friends, you're going to get enemies. That doesn't, it's not, it's just not the right way to do it. We can't, it's like forcing someone to believe in something that, you know, it, it, you've got to try and just present it and that's the best you can. So if you're presenting fringe theories, okay, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I, but I just, I just don't see the anger. I don't understand the anger in it is I think what it is. Um, and that doesn't matter what subject we're covering, covering. And as far as censoring, it's not, it's not censoring. It's all freedom. You know, I work for NBC on the one show. And if we do something that's um, really um, upsetting and they don't want me to work for them anymore, they'll fire me. And that's, that's how life is. And I'll have to go, I'll work on your show. I'll have to go somewhere <laughs> else because that's what, you know, it's just like Rogan. So this, I mean, he's getting into the weeds, which I don't understand what he's trying to do. He's just causing himself more trouble than he needs. But if they end up taking him off, that's not censorship. That's, that's business. Um, you know, I run a business and I got some guy saying that he doesn't like black people. He's getting off the show because it's business. It's not about censoring. So uh, I think the bottom line is, yeah, go for it. Um, but don't be scared of, of, of calling out things you think are nuts. Cause I, I'll, I have no problem saying to Cobert, you know, you're a little bit off wackadoo here. Uh, I'll say that to people. It sounds kind of weird. It sounds stupid and uh, not, you know, not trying to be savage, but uh, you know, if you don't understand something, they've got to explain it. So uh, I don't, you know, I think at the bottom line is, yeah, go for it, but don't hurt other people around if they don't buy into your guest. Right. Yeah. I, I struggle with it. I've seen it both ways. You know, I get complaints, say you're promoting these French theories, whatever. Why would you give airtime to this person? I'm not presenting anything on my show. Like, Hey, you have to believe me. It's just, Hey, these are all these theories on Cooper. Yeah. And, and some of the people who are real, real diehard researchers who are, are, are level-headed. I, I understand their, their point of view that I'm, I'm just clouding the waters even, even further. Well, I mean, yes and no. I, you know, the thing is, what, what does that mean by clouding? I mean, you could most, I'll tell you, most researchers are, <laughs> again, that's, that's, I hold that with a candle because you could think research. Well, uh, have you been to the location? Have you met anybody involved? Have you actually, um, there's, there's, there's different levels of research. I've had books where I've gone out and you meet the killer, you meet all the victims, you, you go to, you meet the cops, you meet the doctors, you meet, you're in the location. There's, that's like number one research is when it's firsthand, secondhand is okay. But most of these diehard researchers, you say that do these, these, cases like db cooper or even zodiac most of them weren't even alive at the time and if they were they they've had no contact with any first-hand information it's all second or third hand so they, they can be diehard as they want but how real is that how how much um is that any better than 
someone saying it was the the lizard people from the moon. I mean, you know, I it, it, thing the thing is, you know, they're a little bit more <laughs> reliable, I guess, if they don't believe it's lizards. But you have to be real about it. Um, that's why I said I don't understand the anger. Like you can have someone come on and you know, you know, Ted Braden's it. He's the one. Okay, that's great. You believe it. You believe in your research. You've actually done a little bit. That's great. We'll leave it at that. But when you start saying, "Oh yeah, hey, no, no, this nutball, he's 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 crazy. He's why well, you shouldn't have that on the show." It's like, well, it's because it's clouding the waters from people buying their book or buying into their theory. So it's that's personal. I I think that um, I because honestly, if you think about this, you can have someone on your show and some people might respond go well that guy's crazy he's not he's saying stupid things he's, he's a fringe guy but then then didn't you do the right thing because isn't that what you're presenting the person they present their facts or evidence and how they see it and if you're getting people calling in or sending you messages going well that was that was crazy then I think you've done the service. You're not clouding the water. In fact, if anything, you're clearing it up. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying? Because when I see, when I hear a show and I see someone and they're talking about some lizard, you know, the queen is a lizard and she did it. And all you hear this weird stuff. Like, oh my God, I, I just crossed that person off. I'm not going to buy their book. You know, it, it makes me kind of realize that that person's a nut. Uh, so I don't think it's a bad thing. Again, unless you present it as, oh, this is right. You've got it. This is the fact, you know, you know, especially people that come on and they go, oh, well, you know, uh, breaking news. This is, the, you know, and they're like, it's the truth. You're not presenting it that way. You're just presenting someone that's written a book or done a movie or whatever they've done. And you're saying, well, how did you come to that? That's all you're doing. And if they present their, their ideas and evidence and people think it's nutty, then in a way you're kind of doing your job. I, I'd like to think the same thing. I had a, a gentleman on the show who I read his book. I, I liked it. I thought there was a lot to it. Um, and then when I met him and did the interview, I thought, this guy's crazy. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> and it, it totally discredited all of the book for me. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what it does. And I think that's when you learn. I mean, there's I, that happened to me. It's been years now. It's been 10 years since... The last time I was fooled was probably about, no, it's probably about 15, 2015. So about seven years as in, and then, yeah, it's just like, well, this is kind of crazy. Right. And, um, it, but you know what, I'm, I'm kind of beyond that and um, not really worried about the judgment anymore. You start realizing that um, we're in this world now where people can just sort of lash out at you for no reason at all, which, <laughs> you know, or for whatever, you know, it, but I find in my life now over the years, some of the work I've done and some of it I'm happy with and some of it I'm not. But um, when you do stuff and you're happy with it and it gets out there, um, there's still people that aren't going to like it. There's still people that are going to think that I'm wrong and that's fine. Um, I'm just not, I'm just, I've learned not to take it so serious anymore. So I'm not, I'm not curing cancer here. I'm not doing something that, um, we're talking about human behaviors and actions and crime and DB Cooper's jumping off a plane. These are human behaviors that we're talking about and they're very unpredictable. And, uh, some people are not going to like what we put out 
but I, you know, if anything, I think it's more restriction and more censoring to not have people on that you don't agree with than it is to have them on. So, you know, put anybody you want on and, and take the backlash. You know, I, I'm starting to enjoy it. You know, some shows we get over 200 emails and I get called government conspiracy and I'm probably MK ultra and all sorts of stuff, you know, and because, because I know it's a joke. It's silly. <laughs> I'm just a guy trying to talk to people and find out things. It was just about answering questions and yeah, you know, so what, um, there's, it doesn't hurt anybody if I have someone on, you know, and they talk about this stuff, like all of these D.B. Cooper guys, even cover, I thought was a little bit off, but even that, you know, you have them and you talk about it and let people decide for themselves. Isn't that what we do? You know, I like the sound of that. Yeah. Just go with that. And don't, don't let it, don't let it, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta avoid as much noise as possible and focus on what you do because you want to do it. The more noise you get involved with the outside clamoring voices, then the more you get taken off track and you start to, to go off of what you're doing, you know, you, you make yourself happy and complete by doing what you need to do and let all that noise just be noise. Cause they'll be, they'll be angry at the next person in a week. They'll forget about you and be mad at someone else. So I've been, I just, you know, I've, I've got so many enemies now. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of weird fringe theories that I've promoted, Uh-oh. is the Zodiac killer D.B. Cooper? Are they the same person? No, come on. You know, it's that one-stop shopping idea. You know, I am so not into any of that stuff. You can promote it all you want, but I, t- to make me believe it, um, I don't know. I, I know I don't believe so, but Hey, um, if you do, do you believe that? No, I I don't, but I like your uh, one-stop shopping because there does seem to be kind of this trend in, in, in true crime where you can connect all of these unsolved crimes to one person. The most requested episode I've gotten by far was to do an episode on Ed Edwards. Oh, is, John Cameron is responsible for every single unsolved crime from Zodiac to Atlanta child killings to Teresa Hallback, John Benet Ramsey. It was yeah. all one guy. Pretty good. Very talented man. <laughs> yeah. I actually interviewed John Cameron. Yeah for, yeah. for the show. Yeah. I've had him on a couple of times and then I, I realized that, you know, he's, you know, I, I don't understand it. I, um, you know, um, it's just, it's a ridiculous theory. It's a ridiculous thought when you start doing all of that. And then, then they, you know, the Teresa held back, hauled back. And then they found out that that wasn't true. And he wasn't even in the courtroom. It's just kind of, a. I just don't buy <laughs> any of that stuff. Um, but yeah, it sells. Um, it sells. You know, uh, you have John Cameron on, he'll be a popular show. And, but what is that really saying something about you or saying something about the listeners? I don't know. And, and part of me feels like that John Cameron thing was a campaign. Cause like I it got, yeah. I got all the Ed Edwards stuff at the exact same time. Yeah. And other yeah. than that, it'd be like, I get an occasional email, like, Hey, I want you to cover this suspect, but never <laughs> an avalanche. 
Yeah, you know, um, because that that making a murder took off. I interviewed him before it took off, and then it took off, and then he came back on like three months later and was, you know, going on about the stuff. And I think that's fine. And then we had him on another time when he did the TV show, that little mini series, and 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 you know, you know what? It was it was um, he got caught up in it. He got caught up in it. He was he got a lot of popularity overnight in three months all of a sudden he had a big book and everybody wanted him on their show um tv and radio and he was a celebrity overnight and and people can't always handle that um and he got caught up in it he believed the hype so to speak and he rode with it and you know and that's it but you know they you you die fast um it's a big crash afterwards because um it's based on something that's not really it's not really factual it's not there you know ed edwards was not a good person and he did bad things and he uh and that but he was not joan benet ramsey he was not <laughs> Teresa albeck he was not the zodiac he was not all of these you know jack the ripper would be next right i mean it's just craziness it's just it's it's silly um I don't know why we want as, as again, I, I, it's more about your listeners and they're big shows uh, and there's nothing wrong with having them on. Um, but it's just, it's just kind of uh, if, if, if he was so bad, if someone says, well, why you promote that garbage? It's like, well, if he's so bad, how come everyone's listening to it? Yeah. Right. I, you know, McDonald's sells more burgers than anybody in the world. They're not the best, but it's about convenience and it's about marketing and advertising. And it's about there. It's there when you need it. That's why not because they do the best thing. John Cameron was one of those that was just all over the news, like Gary Stewart, like a lot of these people that have come out and done something and they've had a TV show done and all of a sudden everyone wants to hear it. And so, you know, you do it. I got caught in that trap lots. I used to do a lot of those shows for that thinking, Oh, wow, this is cool. This is cool. And then after a while you realize that, you know, it's it, then that way it's about the numbers and not so much about really trying to find an answer because there's no way <laughs> Ed Edwards was all of those killers. Yeah. That would be a pretty insane story. Especially him. Look at him. Come on. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's a big piece. I mean, we have to be real. I'm, you know, not even making fun of him, but if you look at him, come on, he's an old guy. He, he did not do all of that. Okay. It's just crazy. It's just, uh, you know, people seem to have this, we're really big in the last 10 years on X-Men and all these superheroes and all this fantasy um, in movies and in books and, and, and stuff. And it's like, come on, it's not reality. I mean, Come on, you know, the every every time we have an agent in all these movies, they look like Angelie Jolie. They're in tight leather with big heels and they run across, they can clear a room of 50 men in one one boot and they they never get hurt. Uh, it's just it's just it's you have to realize people are not that way. People are humans. Just go out to the store, go out to the shopping mall and have a look. <laughs> this is not reality. So I I just don't buy into these superhumans like that. But are you telling me that the Avengers was not a documentary? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it's not. But, you know, sorry, I don't want to wreck your day. Um, <laughs> there is no X-Men. 
<laughs> All right. Let, let, let me uh, ask you some Cooper questions. Mm. Al, is the FBI's flight path accurate? Ooh, um, probably not. Um, they, it probably was the best they could do at the time during the time, but probably looking back at it now, it's probably not. If that's not accurate, what's your take on the uh, official drop zone? I don't have one. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, because the thing is, you know, I'm not, I am not an expert in that category. I don't, you know, about the wind speed and about the, the all the weather variables and then about this, the plane speed and the height. And, and then also, you know, there's all of these variables and you know what, I have to rely on other people. And every time I've talked to people about that, I get completely different answers by people that are supposedly experts. And I'm not an expert enough to take any of those people and go, no, you know, I can go on Google and say, oh, look, you're wrong but I don't have the personal experience. So I don't want to start saying this is what it was. Right. Cause I, I'm so that's, so if you understand that about me, that's my point of view. I'm not, you know, I, I don't think it's right. I think that was probably wrong. What's right. I don't know. Yeah. I, I tend to agree with you on that. As far as the drop zone and the flight path go Yeah. at this point, I'm like, is it, does it matter? I mean, if we found out who Cooper was or we found out exactly where he landed, we found a skeleton in the, in the woods outside Battleground. Um, yeah, then we can discuss the flight path and the drop zone and how accurate they were. But yeah, it would until make then, sense. I'll just go with the official yeah. report. Yeah, and, you know, by all means, I, it's not that I'm not going with it, but I think that um, I, what I'm what I think is it's not it's the best that they could come up with at the time. And I don't know about how accurate it really was because it seems like every time they, you know, like when the money showed up in, in Tina, Tina um, bar there and stuff, these every time, then they have to change kind of their idea of what the flight path should have been or what it could have been or where he could have jumped. And it, it, it I don't think they really know. I think it's a big, big question mark. I agree. It's a big question mark. Speaking of big question marks, how did the money get to Tina Bar? Oh, I just dropped it there. I just wanted to have some fun <laughs> with people. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a pretty um, that's a pretty deep question because um, it did get there. It was the money, so it was through Cooper, whoever that was. So in that in that case, you know, did, did he go? Did he uh, bury it there? When he landed, did he uh, go back and put it there like some people suspect um, for different reasons? Did it like a lot of that doesn't make sense. So I'm not sure it, it to me, it almost, it almost sounds like he, um, he didn't have a good landing, whether he lived or died or was injured and uh, he lost some of the money in why it didn't get it found found until 1980 or whatever it was i'm not sure you know there's a few different theories on that too but i don't know isn't that that's kind of a, it's kind of a weird one but you do know that it come from the person that did it so how did it get there and, and why would you jump and not go back for it if you lost it, like, uh, unless he just completely lost it, but it, it, you know, and it's buried. Right. So I don't know. I think that's a big question mark, you know, it, it is. I would say it's, uh, 
it's equal to who was db cooper yeah because really there's just no explanation for it no and if you if you take all the emotion out of it and you think there's this guy he's got this money he takes a jump and okay so how would he land and not have that money but it's not all of the money it's only some of it so what happened he lost it he or he couldn't take it all i don't know there's is there something missing there or did he uh um just decide to bury some of it why didn't he go back for it did he die um i don't know it's just it's kind of a it's another one of those um none of those you can't really explain it i mean uh yeah it's you know or maybe someone did someone else uh did he give it to someone else or did uh someone else help him but if someone else was helping him why would they leave it you know if he met someone and so this i don't know it's it 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 really doesn't make sense it kind of to me it makes it more look like he had an accident when he landed and he hurt himself or he died and um he needed to put it there but see even that doesn't make total sense either so (laughs) you know it's just kind of one of those really really unexplained things and i bet you it's something really simple uh we're probably all trying to overthink it it's probably something very simple and if we if we found the real db cooper and we had the ant and he could tell us we would go oh yeah that makes sense um but i think we're trying to make it more complicated than it is do you think he survived the jump i'm kind of you know if you ask me now i'd kind of say no um i used to be kind of a lot more open to it and thought for sure he did. And then, then I came to a point where I thought, no, there's no way he did. And then I was kind of like, well, maybe he did. And now after redoing the interviews and putting it to a book, I'm kind of thinking, I don't think so. You know, I I think about 90% he's dead. He didn't make it. It's kind of where I'm at now, but that, that, that fluctuates. (laughs) There's nothing set in stone (laughs) here. Right. There really isn't because yeah, there's just nothing set in stone. I can't, I can neither confirm or deny. (laughs) Do you think his bomb was real? Oh, probably not. Um, I mean, it could have been, it could have been, there's, there's no reason why, you know, I think it's one of those things that really didn't matter, you know, at this point. Uh, whether it was real or not, he got the job done and it didn't, and it didn't have to be real because like I said, I think people were too naive. So, uh, you know, he opens up something with wires and, and, and that, you know, he's, they're, they're shitting their panties going, Oh my God, you know, I would be, especially in 71, you know, it looked like something on mission impossible. I'd be like freaking out. This guy's got a bomb. So he got the job done, but he, it didn't need to be real. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think uh, it doesn't matter whether the bomb yeah. was real or not. When someone shows you a bomb, Al, yeah. would you ever say prove it? Prove that but it's yeah, real. Yeah, see, I wouldn't, but I'm old enough to know that stupid thing. <laughs> <laughs> and and the thing is, um, you know, you have to look at it. If he had a real bomb and he's taking it on a plane, he must know that if he's using it, he's dying. It's all over, right? So in his mind, he has to be ready to die. So do you think that was his mindset? This guy's on the plane. My mindset is either I'm making it or we're all going to die. And so then that would be a reason to have a real bomb, right? Or if, or if someone was, 
you know, if he wasn't getting successful with his thing, he, you know, he could actually cause damage and kill himself because quite often people that do these crimes do kill themselves. Right. So I, I don't know. So that would be the, the only case scenario that would have to be a real bomb, but um, I don't know. I don't think it matters. What do you think of the fact that there are two primary sketches and both of them are pretty different? Oh, again, it goes, it goes to people's memories. You know, it goes to what they think they see and what they do. You know, we could do that so many times. You could do, you could have so many uh, people witness something and give you a completely different story of what happened and a different looking person that, that did it. Um, that, that doesn't surprise me. Um, it really doesn't. Um, it's so much dealing with the person that's trying to tell you what they look like. And um I don't know. And plus it depends how stressed you were, right? The stewardess sitting beside him, you know, she was probably pretty upset. Um, probably more so than the guy looking back. So there's, there's different, you know, it comes from different points of view and different feelings. I don't know. I, it just doesn't surprise me. It really doesn't. So I'm, I'm kind of, like I said, with that piece of evidence, I'm, you know, I'm kind of left with a, yeah, yeah. It's just kind of how it is. It's probably someone that looks in between the two. <laughs> <laughs> Why is this case still unsolved? Well, that's because the lizards did it. No, I think that <laughs> it's, why is it unsolved? Well, I think because it, um, combination of things, it was, it was the right crime at the right time, you know, with all the, at the time it was easy to get on the plane there was no identifications they didn't have uh, dna um, um they just didn't have the forensics or the uh, ability to solve such a crime and it was just the perfect timing you know um and uh, you know and they didn't realize they didn't like the cigarette butts i guess were missing and there's certain things that it just wasn't um good policing not necessarily because they were incompetent. There was probably a little of that, but it was also at the times they were doing what they could with what they had, you know, and what they knew. And uh, so it was the kind of the perfect crime in a sense, um, uh, perfect setup. And all the hijackings then back then were all terrorist related back then kidnappings and take the plane to uh, some foreign country or something. It was, so it was a complete surprise. It was unexpected. And um, yeah, it worked out to be the, the perfect scenario. The only thing that was maybe not perfect is he might've died. <laughs> that would make it not perfect. <laughs> no. Well, but you know what? Yes and no. I mean, yeah, he died, maybe crashed and killed himself. It, it doesn't matter because the name and the crime itself will live on as being the perfect crime. Yeah, that's true. You know, what you know, even if he lived and he's still alive today and he dies tomorrow, you know, <laughs> or he lives through this and he has to die of COVID, right? Because that's just that's <laughs> <laughs> so I was saying about the guys, you know, that did the do the 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 tiger show or whatever at the uh oh in Vegas, you know, and the one guy got cut up by the one their one tagger, he was all attacked and he lived through that and he died of COVID. It's just, <laughs> anyway. Siegfried and Roy. Yeah, that's it. Them, you know. Took and me a minute to think of the name. Yeah, and he made it through all that and was was healing and then he dies of COVID. So it's just kind of maybe 
Duke Cooper died of something like that. I don't know. I shouldn't laugh, but um, yeah. So I know it's one of those cases. Will this case ever be solved? No, no. Every year that goes by less and less chance, you know, um, the only real confidence you could ever have is if the person comes out and there's DNA, there's some evidence and proof. He brings the money. This is the money I stole. Here it is. Chances of that is getting slim, slim to none. Every year that goes by, um, if the person was even 30 in 1971, how old is he now? I, I think each, each year that goes by, it's, becoming less and less likely and and no matter what you can have anybody in the world come out and say yeah it was my dad my uncle my grandpa whatever and none of that really really proves anything if you don't have the money and and the the actual evidence you know the shoot that he jumped in or something um i think i think we're we've sort of lost on this one well certainly a confession is is not enough in this case oh no you know there's probably people that will confess to everything to all the time and you need more than that right you need to have some real evidence why do you think he chose the name dan cooper oh i don't know you know uh, you know there's different theories on that you know um like that comic book from canada and there's in french language there's all sorts of theories i read i don't know um you know because you you have to in order to to figure that out you have to kind of know um, you have to go into the operation of the mind of that person. And that's so hard to do. How could you know what that person knows? We can, we can kind of guess, but when we don't have the real person, we can't put it together. It's like Zodiac, right? Saying, well, he liked this and he liked this because he used this. Well, maybe, but we don't really, we can't get into the mind we don't really know why he chose certain things. So I, that's one of those things that's just a curious thing. Who knows? You know, um, maybe, maybe he was really Dan Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> why don't you think this case gets the attention it deserves? Oh, because people, people get old. They die. They move on. Look at all the stuff that goes on. Um it gets moved down the list. You know what I mean? It's not as important. There's too much going on with the, with the world right now. And um, when things are good and everyone's getting along and there's no, no issues, no war or COVID or anything like that going on when it's calm, like I think the nineties, there was a good time there. People talk and write about things like this a lot because there's, it moves up, you know, it rises up all these old cases that are, curious and and we have something to talk about and we can kind of get involved and it's interesting but when there's all these other things going on it takes away the attention why do you think this case appeals more to men than women oh you know i'm not sure maybe because um there's a lot of guys that wish they were cooper or would like to get away with it i think there's a challenge um more men are into the um but less so now. I'd say that probably more women or should be more involved now. But again, times pass. But men tend to be more into the uh, the mechanics. You know, I could, you know, flying the plane, jumping out, parachuting, um, building a bomb, like all these sort of things uh, tend to be more um, masculine. And so maybe more guys are hip to that. I, I don't know. You know, 
need a psychiatrist for that one. Yeah, I do. I, I've asked a couple of people that question. I just, I find it really interesting that, you know, my friends who do true crime podcasts, their audience is primarily women. Um, I'm doing a show that I would consider to be true crime. And my audience is 90% men. Well, I think, I think that um, the audience of females into the true crime, just like even the books, um, I think they're more into the um, mental, like they can read one of my books or they can go on those shows and listen and they go through the elements of the crime and the mentality of it. And they're kind of more into the, um, you know, more about the, the, what was going on, the feelings, the emotions, there's, it's a story. It reads like fiction, you know, and, and I think with D.B. Cooper, it's all sort of, we don't really know when you're reading the true crime, those cases have been solved. So you're kind of going along, you know, that you explain what, Oh, you know, this is the killer and you kind of know who he was and what his family was like, where he lived. And you, then you, then you hear some of the victims and you kind of go through all the stories. It's kind of, we're not making it up as much with DB Cooper. We don't know. So there's a lot of fantasy in a sense that we fill in a lot of the holes and tell stories with people we think are suspects. I don't think that's as interesting in the sense of a, that's why you have probably more females. They're more reading the story. They're more following the story. And, and, and sometimes they want to solve the crime. We know the people involved. We know all the, all the, the, the players and we know the, the playground, but D.B. Cooper, we don't really know. We don't really know the players, you know? So it's, it's just kind of, uh, you're kind of reading someone's opinion. Well said, Alan. I like that answer. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you can use it. I give you permission. <laughs> all right, Alan. What question didn't I ask you? Well, we can't say that on this show. <laughs> That's too dirty. Um, no, I don't know. I don't think it's anything. I, I think it's, it's, it's good. I mean, uh, you know, again, um, I'm just kind of highlighting the um, interviews I did over the last 10 years and kind of the ones I thought were um, kind of had a point to them and kind of go over the case and put it out there. So I think that's, that's about it. I'm not trying to give an answer to anyone. You're not going to pick up my book and read it and kind of go, Oh, finally, we've solved the case. We, we haven't. I'm just kind of going, giving you an overview of what I learned and what I came across and um, you know, and presenting more questions. <laughs> yeah, it's a good book. I liked it. If, uh, if people want to want to check out your show, want to read your book, where, where can they find you? Well, if you go to alanrwarren.com, it's the center of everything. Uh, the books are all on there. The show is connected to that. Uh, it's all over the place. I mean, the House of Mysteries um, all over the place and, and the books are all over. But that website will have all the connections and it's all the media stuff I've done or any TV shows or any anything. It's all there. It's all at the zoo there. So alanrwarren.com and, and you found me. All right, head on over there if you want to tell Alan he's totally wrong. DB Cooper yeah. definitely survived. <laughs> yeah, send 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 in, send in everything you want me to know. Hate mail, whatever. It's all, all right. Good. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I'll appreciate it. Of course, anytime. Go pick up a copy of Al's new book, The House of Mystery Radio Show presents DB Cooper: The Interviews, Volume Seven. Listen to his show. 
House of Mystery radio show on NBC Radio and in podcast format. Check out all his books and radio work on his website, alanrwarren.com. We'll have links to it all in the show notes for you. Do you know who D.B. Cooper was? Is your relative a suspect? Did you solve the case? Hit us up. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or email us, dbcooperpodcast at gmail.com. Russell and I also have a new show coming out soon, The Book of Darren. So keep an eye out for that if you'd like to hear me talk about something that isn't D.B. Cooper. Thank you to Alan R. Warren for helping to keep the D.B. Cooper case in the public eye. Thank you to Russell Colbert for helping to keep me in the public eye. I'm Darren Schaefer, and thank you for listening to The Cooper Vortex. Hijacked a plane, so we were told Then he jumped into the cold Rats of bourbon and a cigarette In the air, the stage is set Polite and kind, the people say It's time to make his getaway This is how the story goes About the money and the man they call me now Catch me if you can Roll up in his cold-built tag He's got enough to change his life Where he landed, no one knows But from his tale, a legend grows Was a cold, dark, rainy night As he walked, he saw light Held his cash close to his side Just needs to catch a ride This is how the story goes About the money and the man D.B. Cooper, they call me now Catch me if you can
story has been told Davy Cooper's done running now He was 80 